Welcome to The Refuge, a CERC podcast to share our research with practitioners and communities. Your host Israel and my guest today are Thomas Sol, an Associate Professor of Sociology at uh, and the Canada Research Chair in International Migration at McGill University, Munir Nasri, a uh, social entrepreneur who's worked and, uh, in the newcomer inclusion and settlement sector in Toronto for the past five years. He built several social impact projects in Syria, Lebanon, and Iraq prior to his arrival to Canada under the private sponsorship program for Syrian refugees, and Marwa Kobe, the interim executive director of the Syrian Canadian Foundation and a community researcher at York University with the Center for Refugee Studies. She co-founded the Canadian Alliance for Syrian Aid that supported and settled the first wave of Syrian refugees who arrived in Montreal in 2016. Thanks for coming to The Refuge today. Yeah, I'm just going to start with you, uh, Mara. It's been five years since um, we had the first wave of Syrian refugees arrive. What are some lessons that you've learned in that five years so far? I think one of the main lessons is for all of us is that we always expect that integration is going to take a year. That's what the government expects expects based on the financial support that they they give, and then uh, they would cut off that financial support after a year. So they expect that the newcomers and refugees are, are going to learn the language. They're going to find a job, maybe find even um, housing. So that's a lot of pressure on someone who left their home. They're not immigrants; they're refugees. So they left their home by force. They went through a lot of trauma, and they're going to start from scratch here. So they need a lot of support in that way. So as SCF, I think the main lesson is to step in and fill the gaps. Whatever um, they need, we have to kind of support and uh, provide services that the government is, because there's a lot of also pressure on settlement agencies. Like when five years ago, the, the Syrian refugees arrived to, to the GTA, there were thousands at the hotels and shelter. And there was a lot of, there was a long waiting list to access these services, just like, let's say, language or language. Um, programs and also daycare for mothers. It was almost up to a year for a mother who has kids to be able to have someone to to, to look over her kids so she can go and, and learn the language. So we had to create um, the English the English uh, tutoring program. So we partnered with UTM and we got our first funding and we're grateful to Costi because they're a big settlement agency and they were able to support us and become our trustee. And they saw our work on the ground. We volunteered and they decided that we can, we're able to kind of run this program. So what we did is the gap that was happening the long waiting list, we, ha- we were able to, uh, because of the so- support also from the community, have over 350 volunteers um, support language, just language um, con- conversational skills. And we would match volunteers with these families to at least have something to start off until they, they're able to access the link programs. And for the mothers, we were able to uh, send volunteers at home for one-on-one uh, sessions. So this is an example of, of something that we were able to do and fill the gap within the community. Um, before I let you go, what does mm-hmm. UTM stand for? Uh, University of Toronto and Mississauga. Okay, great, great. Yeah. Mrene, what are some lessons you've learned uh, or that's been learned in the five years since? Yeah, um, so I would like probably reflect a bit on my also like experience, you know, coming here. Like it was just like, you know, kind of really different to 
go through a process of like settling in as someone who arrived here, you know, with like a, a lot of refugees while also, you know, kind of doing programs and providing support for refugees. I mean, my probably main kind of observation or point always be like the importance of really, you know, investing in like, you know, communities and people that want to lead kind of change and, you know, create, you know, kind of like there is a lot of goodwill that happened, you know, especially with the arrival of refugees. And like there were a lot of people that came together to support and, uh, you know, to help people. I think there is so much to build on that, you know, um, small organizations, you know, grassroots organizations, even like individuals, you know, that were willing, you know, to provide time uh, and provide energy to, to help people, uh, you know, to welcome people. I think there, there's so much we can build on that, you know, in the future as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I would also like just add, like, you know, of course, like employment and education, you know, we always kind of, talk, you know, share how, uh, you know, important these two pillars are for a lot of people that are arriving. But, you know, we've seen a lot of innovation, like a lot of organizations doing a lot of different kind of programs and, you know, providing different initiatives that weren't kind of the norm. You know, they weren't like the, the typical employment program or typical education program, you know, even mm-hmm. like how a lot of, you know, kind of they were like even like in terms of like ev- evaluating, you know, um, certificates and credentials. Like we've seen some even innovation in that space in terms of, um, you know, thinking of different models to do to do that and i think like it's really important to build on all of these you know pilot initiatives and you know to continue you know uh basically you know welcoming more people you know and ensuring that there is a path for like successful inclusion and integration in the future too thomas well um so uh i can maybe start by saying that like you know we are just in a uh, we collected a large uh, survey of you know interviewing about 2,000 Syrian newcomers to Canada, and we interviewed them throughout basically 2020. So like a rather strange year uh, for all of us, and you know, but that gave us still like a, a glimpse into like how people are doing basically four to five years uh, after they arrived. And I think I want to echo what uh, uh, Marwa said and what Munir said too. Like in a way even four years in, you're still like, you know, the process is still unfolding. People are still in the process of, uh, of mm. building their lives. And so in a way, what we got in our, in our study here was sort of a first snapshot of where people are. This is not in no way uh, going to determine on where people are going to end up, you know, in another five years from now. So what we hope to do is basically go back and re-interview uh, uh, a lot of people, hopefully most of the people uh, we interviewed for the uh, first time uh, in about a year or two, and then see how people, what the trajectory is, where people are going, how people are doing, right? And there's a broad variety of experiences. There's many people who are doing great, who have like, you know, started jobs and found their ways into life in Canada. Um, but there's other people who are struggling, right? Who had a much harder time. And I think it's sort of important to study the breadth of the experience, figure out, you know, what may lead to certain experiences, what are the patterns there, and then see what, you know, how could we really figure out and address these things, either for these people and then also for maybe going forward as Canada hopefully will continue to welcome uh, uh, refugees in the years and decades to come. So that's where I see my, our contribution here to this uh, Mm. larger project. Maor, you want to add something? 
Um, I would just uh, kind of also mention that one of the lessons learned is when newcomers come and refugees, we always assume that we know what they need and we, we're stepping in to help, but it's also important to listen from them. So as CF started years ago, um, what we do is every time that we have a program in mind that we think it does reflect on the need of the newcomers, the first session that I always do, I co-design the program with the participants, with the newcomers, whether they're families or youth or single mothers, to just get their input. Are these topics uh, things that you would like us to address? Would you like to add anything? They, this also would give them sense of empowerment that they have a say over what they're willing to kind of commit to. Um, so I would love to see that in other grassroots organizations or even settlement agencies um, doing mm -hmm. that as well. Yeah, I'll just stay with you, uh, Mawa. And yeah. something Thomas said that they were like, there are some uh, refugees that have settled and in the last five years found jobs and, and stuff. Mm -hmm. And what are some things you noticed while working with them that I guess differences between people that settle easier than others? I would say I did find a difference between people who are coming here through government sponsorship or private sponsorship. When you're coming here with like via private sponsorship, you know the family who are sponsoring you. There's there's kind of a mentorship relationship that they can actually take their hand and walk them through everything, their integration process. While many families who, especially big families of, of five or six, they're kind of lost in the beginning because, again, there was high volume of newcomers arriving all at once. So it was kind of hard for social workers to keep up and make sure that they they address their needs, that they are connecting with the, with the kids and knowing exactly how to uh, help them navigate through the services of the government. Mm -hmm. So that's a difference what I've noticed between both however again I, I'm, re I'm really grateful of, of the support of the community and and many grassroots organizations that were established after the arrival of Syrian refugees that helped through mm. this integration mm. was that your experience Munir uh, I would yeah I would like totally like, echo like what my was shared as well in terms of like you know the presence of communities and individuals, you know, and like the life of people as they're, you know, kind of building their first in a year, second, you know, kind of just like going through the whole settlement journey, you know, it's like a, it's extremely critical, you know, I mean, personally, I mean, I'm probably shaping my experience here, you know, it is like having someone, you know, that were there for you, like from day one, you know, and like knowing that this group, you know, you can even sometimes ask them the question, you know, they have like help like setting up a lot of you know like your your, your place or just like being there for you and that is like you know although like social work social workers as Mary was said you know people are doing a lot of incredible work but you know at one point there's like you know it's very different when you know uh, community members are intervening and like you know sharing you know kind of their experience with someone who's arriving as well you know i think that can play a really big and can, can make a really big difference um mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, specifically people, for example, were born here, you know, raised, you know, raised here, like they can share a, a, a very different perspective of what, you know, uh, what it's like, for example, to be in Toronto, you know, what are like some small cultural details, some small thing that you can capture, you know, uh, about the place and helping you like navigate, you know, your, your, your own path. So, yeah, I, I would say so, you know, and but here's kind of where, you know, also like, um, other programs like the BVOR program, the Blended Visa Officer Program, where it's like a combination of like, you know, um, having like the government support and, you know, but there's also like individuals that, you know, and community that are actually involved in that whole process too, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, that's probably super, like, would be super interesting to kind of explore that and see, you know, how people ended up 
you know, where did they end up through the programs like that, you know, and how did it really impact their kind of settlement experience and their journey to, um, given mm-hmm. that there, it was more like personalized and there was like more direct interventions from people too. Yeah, maybe I can I can quickly speak to that because I think this is exactly one of the things we are we're researching in this uh, in, in our project, right? Um, and so the, the BVOR program is in a way sort of uh, it's really fascinating from many perspectives, and as a social science researcher, it's really fascinating because what you have is a group of people that basically came to Canada through the same path and the same process as government-assisted refugees, right? But then were given kind of a different type of welcome, right? Had this private individual uh, support from the community. And what we can see is that it really does make a difference, right? I mean, as we as, as people said, like, you know, private sponsored refugees also get this, but they also come to Canada through a different way. They come to Canada often already knowing somebody before they arrive, right? They have this connection. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that these people tend to be more highly educated. These people tend to already speak English or French a little bit. These people uh, tend to have different uh, professional trajectories before they come to Canada. And of course they will do better, right? If you speak English or French, it'll be easier (laughs) in Canada, whereas if you don't speak that language. And I think that's where the BVR program is really interesting from a social science point of view, because we can figure out what difference does it make? What difference does it make to have somebody walk you through, help you through that first year, right? And in these cases, these are strangers who are signing up for this, like somebody who you have no connection before. And we can, I'm very, very confident to say that this makes a difference in many realms of life. And we have looked at how does it make a difference for finding a job? I think we find one of the important things. I think it does make a difference there. And right, and it it, it speaks to a very particular kind of generosity that like you are, you're signing up for a year of supporting somebody who you have never met, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that's a really fascinating uh, way to uh, 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 program. And I think it's really important and it really addressed and it, in a way it helps a group of people who need help the most, right? Because they don't, like, they're, they're not in this program because they already know somebody, right? We know that like the people who get something because they know somebody tend to people who have more resources. These are people who didn't know anybody and then they get uh, assigned a sponsor, and I think it's really, uh, uh, I think it's really uh, a small but really interesting and important program. Mm. Marwa, you want to add something earlier? Um, no, I think the the main thing that we keep always encouraging um, people in the community by, uh, especially now that Afghan refugees are arriving and they have still families back home that they would like to sponsor. So having this uh, private sponsorship program still available, like a family of five can kind of step in and sponsor, that would really help and be beneficial. I know it's it's not easy, but we did notice a difference within the five years of how many families did we actually help and re- re- reunite um, from the ones who are still living back home mm. yeah touching on that yeah especially with the syrian cohort that arrived it was a mass and as you mentioned it overwhelmed some most settlement agencies here um i'm wondering what are some things that you notice that we could do better like with the afghan uh, cohort coming now uh, now, the things that we can uh, really do better, I think th- there's a program that we did um, when in 2017, which is a family matching program. What we did is it was a simple thing. We, we had 
high volume of volunteers and people who just wanted to help. They just wanted to spend time and, and give some emotional support to the families who are still living at the hotel for months. They're not able to leave the hotel because they don't have a car. They don't know places around. So what we did is we matched uh, volunteers, even like a whole family with another uh, Syrian family, and they just simply became friends, walking them around, showing them how to do their grocery shopping, helping them with doctor's appointment. These simple things really made a difference. And until then, I noticed that that relationship was established. Now, after five years, they became close friends and almost like family. They kept in touch. They uh, provided support. And um, and I think that that would be a great idea to do with Afghan refugees now, that they're at the hotel. Also, COVID isn't helping these days, that it's there's still a lot of challenges. They have to quarantine 14 days after they arrive. They can't see anybody at the hotel. Um, so there are a couple of families that uh, we're willing to go and see, I think, starting maybe next week. I have people who reached out and said that I'm, I want to do grocery shopping. I want to see them and help. So I, I match them. We're just doing this on a personal level, but I would, again, love to see it within settlement agencies and grassroots organizations because it really did make a difference. And these families are just dying to speak with someone um, and asking about how things are, how to navigate themselves in Canada and access the services here. So I think that was really beneficial and that would uh, that would help them. And also channel the efforts that like the Canadian public are really generous. They're so supportive. And again, they just want to give their time. So let's have things that are more organized to channel these efforts and have things organized because sad truth is crisis will happen in the future. It's not the Syrian refugee crisis wasn't the first and now the Afghan uh, refugees who arrived. So we have to be more organized and prepared in a way that whether having a, de- a database that, or forms that organizations can rely on. So whenever they need help and support from the community, they can just do an outreach, post it elsewhere and they will find the support needed. Language, uh, language barrier, cultural barriers is something that affects a lot of refugees. But, you know, there are people like yourself, Munir, that are sort of a bridge, like you are a refugee, but that isn't as much of a challenge. What are some things someone in your position can do to help others that face such challenges? Totally. Uh, yeah, I think like really to build on like even like my was point earlier, you know, on building, like there is so much, you know, like there is a lot of, you know, things happening in the community today, you know, so I mean, personally today, I, you know, always think like, how can we be there, you know, for other refugees and sharing the experience, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and sh- like just comforting people, tell them like, hey, like one year, you know, it's still, you know, a very short time to actually feel like you're settled. You know, it can take a little bit, like, I mean, I've, I've been here for like, almost like kind of five years and if I finished my fifth year, you know, entering my sixth year now and, you know, and I still feel like there's so much I want to learn, you know, there's so much I still want to, you know, experience. I mean, and like my, you know, what I share today with like other newcomers, you know, people that are arriving, it's like a very, you know, just my personal experience, but people have like different ways of, you know, doing that as well, like building their own settlement journey as well. So I think mm-hmm. what's really important is to, for me personally, is always like listen to what people want, you know, and how they want to drive their own kind of path in a new country mm-hmm. rather than like imposing my own way of like, you know, how I did it or how someone else did it, you know, like, because like that mm-hmm. can really change a lot, you know, um, someone's experience, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And like just another point, I think, like to, to, early, or, uh, to your question, like what can be really done better? I think like there's so much to build on even like, um, I think I mentioned this earlier, but the uh, f- 
transferring credentials, you know, and, um, you know, again, like the pilot projects that were there, you know, during the arrival of Syrian refugees, you know, um, it helped people a lot, you know, accelerate their education or jobs, you know, or like even, you know, yeah, just think, you know, feel more settled. And hopefully we can get to build more on that. You know, it's something I constantly try to do in my work as well, you know, to really how can we do more of that and build on, you know, uh, in the future. Um, and while also being mindful of the sensitivities between, I, I know like you've touched a bit on the cultural piece, but being mindful of like sensitivities between, you know, newcomers and like, you know, the, the different kind of cultures and, you know, like, why, for example, like I know, like this came up, came up earlier, you know, as well, like you know, uh, from people that are arriving now, from you know, Afghani refugees, like or even before, like why is, for example, um, why are people from you know Syrian refugee community are like receiving more support or like there are more programs specifically for them, but not for another community? So just ensuring that the service and support is like inclusive and, you know, um, it's there for everyone, regardless, you know, what kind of country you come from. Mm. Mm. Thanks for sharing that, Munier. Thomas, I'm thinking with your research, you mentioned what it happened in 2020, right in the thick of things. Um, but you still got a lot of respondents. What were some of the challenges you faced with actually reaching more people for your research? And uh, uh, do you think some of those people you didn't get to are uh, also people that like support and settlement agencies and volunteers also struggle to get to. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a really important point you're raising there, right? So for us, right, we, because we try to capture the, the breadth of the experience, right? Like what is it, what does this journey look like uh, for a range of people, right? From those who have an easier time, for those who have a hard time, we try to be as representative as possible, right? To reach as many people as possible. Well, you know, I think we did a reasonably good job, but I mean, uh, I know that we probably missed some people, right? People who are suspicious, who uh, may not feel comfortable, uh, you know, doing an, a, a, a telephone interview or uh, things of that nature. People who may face challenges with literacy, right? So those are people are harder for us to reach. And so, for instance, it's fortunate as a researcher, but I mean, I think the bigger uh, I think the bigger lesson, maybe the bigger problem to to is there to think that these are voices that we're missing in the conversation too, right? These are voices we don't have in our research. And these are also people that easily fall through the cracks. So I think that's always a uh, something to keep in mind, right? What about those that are the hardest to reach, those are, that are the most afraid uh, to raise their voices? Which again, to go back, this is why I think like programs that... Um, like the BVR program that match people, not because they raise their hand, but because they, uh, you know, because they're there and they're matched with somebody. That's why they're so valuable rather than um, uh, providing extra services to people who, you know, who show up at your door, right? The people who show up at your door, they're already, they're already capable of something, right? But there's people who are maybe even too afraid and too uh, traumatized or too uh, uh, facing too many challenges to do that. So always mm. keeping that in mind is important. I want to, you know, quickly also, you know, add a comment on what's been said. I think about, you know, what can be done better. And I think there's always things that we can do, uh, one can do better. But I think it's also important to recognize all the tremendous amount of work that, you know, mm. settlement agencies and, uh, you know, government uh, 
policymakers and government uh, uh, employees and frontline workers have done in this, right? Like, sure, <laughs> you know, the, in, in, in efforts like this, where like 40,000 people are resettled uh, over a relatively short amount of time, like not everything runs perfectly smooth all the time. That's, of course, right? That would be hard to mm-hmm. imagine. But I think it's, uh, you know, thinking that a relatively small country was able to, you know, willing to take up, you know, a, a decent size population at least, right? I think is important. And in a way, right, I think that maybe more important than, you know, every little service being li- uh, delivered perfectly is like, you know, allowing as many people as possible to come, right? The people that are made it to Canada in a way, you got to think these are the lucky people already in a way, right? These are the lucky ones who made it, who had the chance to build. There's so many more who never had this opportunity, right? So I think that's also something maybe to not completely lose sight of like all the people who never got the opportunity rather than focusing on maybe the little things that are not quite working right when people are here. Not to say that this is not also important to get right, but I think keeping the global perspective in mind, I think it's always important. Yeah. Well, super yeah, 100% Thomas I, I agree with you that's why we do we really do encourage people who are able to sponsor refugees just to do so because they are literally saving their lives and and changing it for good um so we, we always encourage that but it's just always um in a way to be prepared because crisis will happen and uh, Canada is, is a generous country and uh it's it's country of diverse of immigrants and refugees so it would be great if we can uh, get more organized and utilize the support of the community that we have as well Mm. yeah you know we talk about diversity we talk about culture and something uh, as an immigrant myself is i'm here i need to find a nigerian restaurant because every couple of weeks you know i need to eat some nigerian like uh <laughs> is, is, is that something you notice you know uh Mawa, like oh um, yes the for sure here, they want to just retain their 100%. culture their food practices and not be seen as oh now i'm canadian right like you no, are no, canadian no. they they converted that hundred percent, and that's why you 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 find many now Syrian restaurants in Mississauga or in Oakville, even downtown Toronto. So literally, when I walk down the streets, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of Arabs now. Like I, I did notice the difference. <laughs> they weren't before, but they just um, again because they're they're entrepreneurs, they love food. We all do. Mm. Um, so many of them were able to to open good shawarma restaurants uh, across the GTA and, and other, of course, Arab restaurants. Mm. Mm. can can confirm and like there's no shortage of like good syrian food in the city right now. no no no, there isn't (laughs) (laughs) it's just getting better every every week (laughs) a hundred percent and i actually use it like through my workshops i'm like okay we're gonna do a program i promise i'm gonna get your shawarma yasin and this day they actually show up and they just the food is gone (laughs) so i'm using that as well yeah um so this has been just an interesting chat but like as with everything that's good, it's an ongoing process, right? What are, you know, and I'll start with you, Thomas. Uh, what are some things that we could do moving forward to keep this process even better than it is, but to also keep it going? Basically, um, helping refugees settle in Canada and being able to reach out to them, also supporting the um, settlement agencies and volunteers. 
Yeah, I mean, these are these are very good questions, and it's very hard to find good answers to them. I think um, so. Let me let me speak a little bit about the the one program that I've been thinking about the most recently, the BBOR program. I, I find it, as I said, I find it fascinating. I'm sorry if I if I keep harping on this, but I think it's very interesting. Right, yeah. so you have a program where Canadians make an offer to be partly responsible to 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 help to take make some commitment to a stranger for or a group of strangers for a year, right? Mm-hmm. And we've been as we've discussed, right? This is a really valuable thing. This can really make a difference in people's lives and small things like uh, Monier, I think made a, uh, you know, summarized this very well, like showing you around the city, like learning the, the little cultural differences and all that kind of stuff. And also big things like finding a job, finding a good apartment, all these, all these things that are really important people in, in important in people's lives. Hmm. Now the BBR program is a fairly small program. It, you know, it's a fairly small program. It's apparently it's not so easy to find people to sign up for this. Right. I mean, it's it's not there's not you know Canadians are generous but this is a big commitment this is a big commitment to take it can make a huge difference but it's a big commitment to 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 engage with a stranger on that level for you know in in that uh, uh, for an extended period of time like a year and as we said like a year mm-hmm. is not even that you know from a refugee's perspective it's not that long that's just the bare beginning right so. How could you grow something like this? I don't know, right? It's hard. Like one way to growing it be like you know try to try to promote it, and maybe more people would sign up. Maybe, but you know, um, I think in a way the, this, the the very things that make it hard to grow this program also make it so valuable, right? Because it matches you with a stranger, because it doesn't reward those people that already have connections even more, right? And leaves those who don't behind because it is a commitment because you have to be responsible for a year if you make it only six weeks maybe you find more people to sign up well we think like a year is not enough so so i think it's it's i don't think there's any easy answers here i think that's i mean that's always what any academic will tell you and i'm sorry to be just one of those again um that uh, and i think every effort matters but i think we should also be realistic and say like it's not there's no easy fixes here right we all you know yeah. we, we all need to be as generous and give as much as we can and people need to you know I need to work hard as an academic and study and deliver good research. And, you know, people, you know, who, who can do these things, you know, should do them to the extent they can. And again, it's not to say that these smaller things don't matter, right? Somebody helping somebody for six weeks also makes a difference, right? Yeah. It's much harder for us to figure out how much that difference is, right? We can study this, these big programs. We can figure out, yes, this matters, right? Settlement services, they make a difference, right? So whatever whatever little things we can improve, we may not notice it right away. But I think all these things add up in the end to um, to something, right? And to 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 make people's lives better. And again, I think so the most important piece is like being able to come to Canada, right? To have the chance to rebuild your life, right? I mean, having that ticket, that's the biggest one. Monier. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, I think, think, I mean, it's definitely transformational, as you know, Thomas said, that is, you know, like to definitely, you know, just to be able to be here today, like to think, you know, in terms of like how difficult, first of all, is to like, you know, uh, resettle anyway, you know, like I I think I was reading it, it was like 2% or something, Uh, Thomas, maybe you can 
refugee or Marwa, like I think it's like two percent of like the refugee population globally that only gets resettled, like two percent. You know, wow. that's like still like very like you know kind of yeah, it's a very low percentage. You know, the big wow. like the like like the need is really big out there today. You know, and you know, and there's so much potential. You know, like people you know bring so much you know to wherever they go you know we've seen it like in you know in canada you know over like five years like over the past like few years you know like the arrival of syrian refugees where it's still like very vivid in our memory but you know there are like so many examples as well that we can build on and think of you know where people like built you know communities you know built you know the country and like rebuilt and reshaped their lives you know um why not provide that opportunity when we can you know i mean that's something i always mm. think about um you know uh, you know people are uh, again like maru i think touched on that the generosity of people and what people have to offer you know why can't we you know think of new models you know to kind of you know build on all of that and you know think of like what does really community mean here um mm. and yeah i think like I, I think like you know in canada we are for something special person like that's my opinion you know i think like there is <laughs> you know, something happening, you know, like there's so much, you know, or like a lot of people, you know, putting in a lot of work and time and energy in this. And hopefully we get to continue this over the, you know, kind of years to come, you know, with the arrival of more people. And hopefully we get to open, you know, um, you know, more opportunities for people, you know, as like someone who, you know, arrived here, like I would have never thought that my life can change so quickly in like five years. You know, I, I think of like where I am today and like the first day I arrived at the airport, you know, and like you look at the difference and like, wow, you know, like what, what happened? You know, like um, I want to give that opportunity now to someone else. You know, I want to give back, you know, and like just be able to, you know, give another refugee from any other, you know, place in the world that chance to like to rebuild their life and, you know, yeah, uh, recreate in themselves. So yeah, hopefully we get to, you know, be a part of that and uh, for years to come now. <laughs> mm. okay. And uh, Mawa? Um, so building on what uh, Munir was mentioning, um, especially the, the services and programs that already do exist, but we kind of have to think outside the box in a way that how can we support more or in a more effective way, like let's say the language program that uh, they they, um, they have access to, which is the link program, and it takes almost three to four years. That's what I've noticed based on the participants that we have. They're still trying to learn the language. So why not create something more innovative? And this is a program that we thought of and we applied for with IRC and we got approved um, and we're trying to pilot and test virtual reality uh, language training program with uh, UTM University of Toronto and Mississauga to have them test VR and AI technology to see how effective it is and faster for them to learn the language in a fun way um, wow. so um, I people who are interested to, to be part of this team and this project I am looking for a project manager so it'd be great for them if they would like to apply on our website and, and I'm really excited for this program we're launching in January um, so we're going to do this for two years and a half and based on the research findings and what the newcomers kind of share uh, we can uh, take this to to on, on a bigger scale hopefully mm. what is the website uh, syrianconeafoundation.ca wow uh, this has just been an amazing chat you know Munir, Thomas and Mawa I love um, everything you've shared and there's so many takeaways from this episode so thank you so much for sharing and thank you so much for coming to this uh, refuge 
Thank you. Can I just add also one yeah. more point that we're, we're planning to do? So uh, I also did launch a campaign called From Syria to Afghanistan to kind of connect and help Syrian newcomers with Afghan refugees, uh, oh. whether it's a skill set or if they have extra time. So there are three ways where people can support and join the campaign. Uh, we have a volunteer forum on our website. So people have extra time whenever the Afghan refugees move out of the shelter or hotels and they're settled, they can kind of connect with them, uh, yeah. whether it's uh, through language, through just kind of meeting with them, becoming their friends, whatever time and skill set that they would like to provide, it's the form is on our website. The second thing is donation. So I started a, a $10 uh, campaign because I don't want anybody to feel like it's a burden, especially Syrian newcomers, that they're not able to donate. I know that many of them still have families back home that they're supporting financially, but kind of have them still feel like they're able to support $10 any student or anybody can afford. Um, and that would help also with re resettlement um, services and support for Afghan refugees. And the third thing is to share, to actually talk about this campaign and encourage people to step in and help Afghan refugees um, who really do uh, need that support. So I just wanted to kind of... Um, uh, share that and it's also on our website syrianfoundation.ca and they can see the the campaign page uh, there and I'm doing some kind of also press release and hopefully we're able to spread the word and and support us as much as possible wow yeah that's an amazing pr program thanks thanks for sharing that uh you, you know Munir Thomas and Mawa thank you so much for coming to thank the you. refuge today thank, thank you, you so much for, thank you for yeah, having thank us thank you for the great conversation